Good morning. I would like for you all to get out your devices or your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to make it easy on you today because we are going to stay there the entire time. So there'll be no page flipping. And if you get bored of listening to me, then you can read Matthew chapter 6 and you'll probably have done well this morning. It is so good to be together. We're beginning a new series called Therefore, and we're going to kind of look at some of these gospel truths that enable obedience over the next several weeks. Um, these major uh, transitional passages and text and uh, in the text, and, and I hope that you're able to gain something from it. I certainly have in studying. I want to ask you all to raise your hand if you play a sport. No, we'll catch a lot of our kids, but some of our some of our adults as well. If you play a sport, raise your hand. Any sport, baseball, tennis, soccer. All right, we got a few. Okay, I, now I, I want you to raise your hand if you have a, a child or a grandchild who plays a sport. I think we'll get a few more. Okay, all right. Now, now maybe I didn't catch everyone. If you have a favorite sports team, then you can also raise your hand. Okay. Have we almost caught everyone? See, that would be everyone except for me. Well, no, now Braxton played basketball this year, so I would get to raise my hand. Um, raise my hand along with all of y'all. You know, sports are a, are a funny thing. We certainly enjoy them, and um, there's, a, there's a lot that we get out of them. A lot of positive comes from playing sports, especially for our children. But I have found that it's also something that gives us quite a bit of anxiety, when I first started dating my wife, she was a college softball player. Of course, I really could care less about softball and still don't really care much for it. But it was very important to her, so I had to go watch a lot of games. And every year, we still watch the College World Series. And as much as I may not care, I still find myself on the edge of my seat during those anxious moments. You know, when you're just not sure quite how the game was going to turn out, and you just kind of put yourself in that player's shoes, and you think, what a big moment to be in. And, and the anxiety kind of wells up inside of me just a little bit. And I can't help but think that as a parent, as we start watching our kids go through sports, it's going to even get worse. A lot of you have been there um, on multiple occasions, and, and you know what it's like to experience that tornado of emotions when your child is out there, on the field and you're cheering when they're ahead and you're devastated when they're behind and really you want the you want your child to succeed and you want what's best for them and it gets really intense in those moments those nail-biter moments when the game is tied and it's overtime and and your child is the one up to take bat how does that make you feel you know it's interesting that we feel such strong emotions in moments like these maybe it's not a child maybe it's a grandchild maybe it's just this feeling we get when our favorite team is in a big moment it's interesting that we would feel such strong emotions over something that we have zero input over I actually think that's what makes the watching the kids games even more stressful is because they're inherently unpredictable and so we have even less control over what's going to happen in those situations. I want you to hold on to that very familiar emotion, that identifiable emotion, as we walk through our key text today. We're going to read Matthew 6, 19 through 34 together in its entirety before we talk about it. Starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's a big pivot point in this passage, right there in the middle, in verse 25. A big therefore. And we see oftentimes when this word therefore shows up, there's this logical argument being created. And I think Jesus is doing that here very much. He's saying, because this is true, because of what I said then it follows that this is also true. And often in that, he gives us a, a, a something to do about it. And I think we're going to see all of that here. You know, I look at this passage, and there's kind of some buzzwords in there in verse 25. It uses the word anxiety, and, and that's something that's running rampant in our society right now. And so this would seem a particularly relevant and important passage for us to spend some time with and digest. So I look at this, and I, and I kind of ask, what... What exactly is it, Jesus, that gives us ground just to toss anxiety aside? I mean, it almost seems like he's, he's portraying it that way. Just, just stop. An additional layer of this question that I would ask is, what exactly does he mean by anxiety? And does, how does it compare to what we call anxiety? And honestly, probably my biggest question is, is it really this simple? And I think for us to answer some of these, we have to spend some time unpacking the passage, starting back in verse 19 and working our way forward. So that's what we're going to do today. I want to back up and, and look at this in sections, starting in verse 19, where he kind of begins by painting this picture of a treasure. 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think a great question to begin at the beginning of this lesson for us all to ask ourselves is where is your treasure? You know, he starts with this 
pretty docile lesson, really, and it's rooted in some very practical ideas, ideas that I think we would all agree with. We look at the things that we are drawn to, the things that we treasure, the things that we value, and just like the picture Jesus paints, we see that they are kind of deteriorating away. So the first one that he brings up is clothing. That probably would have been a more precious commodity to them than it is to us. Um, We tend to cycle through our clothing pretty fast, but for them, um, an article of clothing was a really big deal, a rare and limited resource, but it's also something that the moths would show up and eat if you kept it in storage and packed it away. He talks about rust and how they rust, uh, your treasures rust away, and, and that probably refers to this, this process of deterioration as much as literal rust. In other words, you see that the, the elements eat things away. All of these things that we gather up for ourselves are just slowly eroded away by the natural elements. And the truth is, the, the exact same thing happens today. I mean, we could go through the list of all of the things that you value and the things that you have accumulated, but there would be several that would probably rank up at the top of our list. That vehicle that you drive is a really big deal to most of us. That's something that we exert a lot of effort buying and taking care of. We spend a considerable amount of our disposable income on our vehicles. But no matter how you, how you look at it, 20 years from now, that nice vehicle you're driving is going to be the beater that some high school kid is annoyed that their parents are making them drive to school, okay? That's just, that's just how it goes. You wear out the tires and, the, and things start to squeak and rattle and the technology um, becomes outdated. The house that you live in now, no matter how nice it is, 50 years from now, it's probably going to get a crack in the foundation. And you're going to have a, a pipe that leaks under the slab and the windowsills are going to rot and the AC unit is going to fail. And all around us we see that even these big major things that we, that we surround ourselves with and that we take comfort in and that we have pride towards are deteriorating and falling apart around us. It's almost like sand slipping through our fingers, no matter how you look at it. And even if you could manage to hold on to those things, if you hold on to them long enough, you're going to find that it collides with the interest of another human being because as humans we are constantly trying to better our own position by robbing someone else of theirs so even the momentary wealth that we have is always threatened on numerous fronts Jesus was right to point out that much of what we treasure is disappearing and I don't think any of us would argue with that but it's also a blessing to know that Jesus kind of gives us another option He says that there's a place that we can lay up treasure that isn't quite like this. And this is actually a a profound hope that almost all in this room believe with our whole hearts. In fact, if we turned our attention to the secular world, we would see even they are attempting to build treasure chests that are bigger than simple things. So we see a world where people write books and they invest in relationships. And we have a lot of talk about our legacy And what is that? What is that idea of legacy? Well, it's an attempt to place something outside of just things, something that's going to live on past us, something bigger than just the here and now. We all know that the things around us are deteriorating, so we want to place our treasure in something outside of that. And the world attempts to do that. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to take it even another step. We're going to take it another step further. You can only have treasure that lasts if you place it outside of this world if you lay up treasure in heaven. And then it's at this point that Jesus starts to jab just a little bit. He says this, where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. You know, for some reason, we tend to think that we can separate those two elements. I've spent a lot of my life, I think, trying to, trying to find a knife fine enough that I could trim out the two and I could separate them a little bit so that I could have a little bit of treasure in both places so that maybe my treasure could be here and my heart could be somewhere else. But the bottom line is this. Jesus was wise and discerning, and you know it to be true. Your heart follows your treasure always, every time, without exception. Where your treasure is, that's where you will find your heart. So we can move our heart by moving our treasure. It also means that if your heart is focused and placed on things of this world, it's in a really tenuous place. I mean, considering the reality of what we just talked about, the moths and the rust and the thieves and the decay that we see around us readily, if our heart is placed on that, then our heart is in danger of following suit. To think about our heart decaying away and being stolen is a scary thing, but that's really what Jesus is saying. And then he goes on to unpack this idea even more. He's going to continue to challenge us as we walk through this passage because we get next to verse 22, and this is the one that I'm tempted to skip over because it seems a little weird. And, and so let's read it. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then, If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if you're like me, uh, you read that and you think, I'm going to circle back to that, and then you never circle back to it because it was some, some weird things that Jesus said. And so we have to pause a little bit and ask, us, ask what he's saying. Eyes and lamps and bodies and what is he talking about? And I, I was thinking, how do I, how do I help you all connect? And, and I think the reality is right here in front of us. Have you ever noticed the glass block windows over here off to the side? Um, on, a, on a sunny day when all of y'all are gone, we walk down here on a Monday, and in the middle of the day, the auditorium is pretty well lit on account of these glass blocks over here that are letting the light in. But have you ever noticed the waste of glass blocks over here on this wall? <laughs> there they are. Just I, I guess it was to balance it out. I don't know who made that decision, but, but they don't do anything. They just... light in and these blocks over here that are that might as well just be another piece of sheetrock the difference is what they are directed towards the eye analogy that's manifested before us um, is is similar to these blocks and i think he's using it to build his case for this next statement that he is about to make do i need to turn this over the ear mic off am i we're good okay um, the eye analogy that's manifested before us, um, I think, is clear in, in these blocks. And, and Jesus is, is using this eye analogy to, to build his case for the next statement that he's going to make. We have to understand that, that Jesus is talking about the eye as if it was representing a window. It's the entrance point. It's the organ with which you direct your attention to things. So a few weeks ago, we studied the biblical concept of your heart. And we talked about how it was the center point of you. And I think Jesus here is taking this idea of your heart following your treasure and he's expanding it out. You see, if we had stopped in verse 21 and he had just talked about this treasure or this treasure chest, you would have been tempted to view this heart issue in terms of maybe a bank account. In other words, instead of buying a boat, 
Maybe I'm going to send some missionaries overseas and support World Bible School. Instead of going to the ball game, I'm going to spend some time with Christians worshiping. And both of those would be noble and wonderful things to do, where we direct our money and where we direct our time. But, but Jesus is saying where you spend your money and your time is simply a symptom of something deeper. Where you place your treasure is a symptom of something more. It's a symptom of what you are looking at. You can't move your heart just by spending money on different things. If the eye is directed towards light, then the room lights up. But the eye, if the eye is directed towards darkness, then everything is going to remain dark. And here's where it starts to get a, get a little scary because we tend to skip over this section, but Jesus is setting the stage for what is about to come because he's making your mind think in these vivid terms of light and darkness. And we know all well that light and darkness can't exist together. It's either light or it's dark. They stand in opposition to one another. When the light is on, there is no more darkness. We tend to think in, in terms of, of a gradient, but the reality is, by definition, those two things are mutually exclusive. They are opposites. We know that we can't hold light and darkness at the same time. And Jesus is saying the same is true of your treasure. You cannot treasure earthly things and heavenly things. You either let the light in or you don't. And in verse 24, he gets very pointed. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or mammon. The influence of wealth is what he's talking about here. Now, I think in light of what we've seen, verse 24 has a little bit of an extra bite because he's painting very clearly now. He's laying it out for you to see in, in clear terms the reality of the two competing gods waging war for our souls. And we have the, the, the God, creator God, who is God, God Almighty. And we have this lesser God, money, wealth, materialism, things. This rival gods are, are waging war on you. It's a battle between two masters. It's the battle between light and dark. They exist in opposition to one another. And you can't play on both teams. You can't straddle the fence. Earthly and heavenly exist with the same contrast between light and dark. God and mammon exist with the same contrast between light and dark. And you have to choose which one to let in. And that's why when we get to Matthew 6, 25, I tend to view it and read it more as an appeal than a command. It's an appeal to redirect your eye, to redirect your heart, your love, your sense of security and meaning and purpose, to redirect all of those things to something worthy of it. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see, I think I'm warranted to make this claim that this isn't Jesus just saying, do this. Because of what I've said, do this. This is Jesus saying, please see what I'm trying to tell you. Like, Please see this. this. This is more than a command. This is him building his case for you. And he's about to walk you through these things. And he starts by saying, you know, 
You know that life is more than food. You know that your body is more than clothing. You know that there's something more than all of these things on the surface that you're spending all of your time thinking about. You know that there is more than this. So why exert so much effort being anxious and worrying and directing your inner eye towards things that are just so unstable? Things that in the big scheme of things really don't matter. At this point, I want to draw you back to our open analogy, your kids and the sporting event. I'm probably going to make a few of you mad, but hear me out on this. It doesn't make a hill of beans bit of difference in the big scheme of things, whether they win or lose. Whether they strike out or hit a home run. Now, we want our kids to be successful. We want them to experience, we want them to learn to succeed well and to fail well. There's, there's a lot of lessons to be learned, and, and I think in the moment it can matter, and it can be a big deal. But in the big scheme of things, it doesn't. It doesn't matter at all. Life is more than that. Yet, in the moment, we feel this deep-seated sense of anxiety for the outcome. Because we are wanting something that's totally out of our control. And something that's, that's placed in the hands of a child and makes it totally unpredictable. And I think this is the type of anxiety that Jesus is talking about. It's anxiety that stems from a lack of control. Anxiety and worry that stems from your inability to do anything yet wanting something so badly. Anxiety that stems from focusing on something so intensely right now that you have so little control over. Yet... Yet you can see nothing else. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he says, now, I want you to stop when you start feeling that way. And I want you to look up and observe some things. In verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? In other words, Jesus says you are obsessing about all of these small things that aren't even under your control, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves steal them, and yet you continually press your heart towards these things that aren't eternal. In fact, in an effort to protect your heart, in an effort to provide some sort of security for yourself, you are turning your eye away from eternal things and providing it with, trying to provide it with security that isn't yours to provide, and you end up worshiping mammon, worshiping things, and you land in this place that's so unstable. And that's where our anxiety comes from. But Jesus says, look with me for a moment. There's these worthless birds Worthless birds, and, and yet they aren't constantly trying to hedge their bets by taking control of nature and carving out this better existence. They do their thing, and God takes care of them. And you, you are the crown jewel of God's creation. What makes you think if he doesn't take care of the birds, he's not going to take care of you? 
You can sit here and worry all day long, he says, and at the end of the day, what does it do? It doesn't add not a minute, not an hour. Um, some of the Greek scholars even argue that he was talking about adding a, a, a height. You can't add an inch to your height or take away an inch by thinking about it and worrying about it. You have no control over those things. It does no good. We had a beautiful wildflower season this year. Wildflowers that just, uh, fields painted like no artist could ever paint them. And where are they now? Gone. If God, if God can raise up with zero human input a, 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 an artistic canvas like we saw all around us and put that on display for the world to see in its season, provide that for us, and then in its season, take it away. What makes you think? What makes you think that he won't give you the things that you need in your season? After all, you're the crown jewel of God's creation. In other words, Jesus is saying, you need to look out and see all of God's provision for his creation. This creation that has no concern with material possessions or mammon or money. Look at that and tell me, why has it become such a big deal to you? Why do you feel like you need to do the things that only God can do? Oh, you of little faith, the text says. And I think he's often sadly correct. We struggle to trust God with our daily provision, but when we turn from him, we end up serving a lesser God, this God of mammon, the God of money and wealth and materialism and things. And the truth is that God's track record is moths and rust and robbery. And Jesus is therefore in verse 25 is a plea for you to see this, a plea for you to see the reality of this mutually exclusive choice you must make between God and wealth, a plea for you to honestly examine the evidence that you see in the world around you, a plea for you to understand the value and importance of focusing your heart on God and placing your hope and your trust in him. And so as we get to the end, he circles back around and he restates his point in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The Gentile unbelievers, the birds and the grass, all have their physical needs just like you. And God knows. And he isn't helped by your anxious worry any more than you are. Our role, Jesus says, is to set aside those earthly concerns and focus on the only thing that matters. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, the text says. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So one last time, he reminds us, those of you who are focused on the kingdom of God and not on this world, you have good reason to let the worries of tomorrow go. You know, we don't have to live life like we're watching some sort of Little League baseball game. That anxiety that stems from wanting something so badly but having no control over it 
Jesus' plea to them is the same that it is to you today. Jesus says, don't serve that master. Don't choose that path. You need to serve my father. You can't be in control, but you can follow the God who is. Just look at how he provides the needs of the day-to-day things to those with so much less value, to things that aren't the crown jewel of his creation, to people who don't even know him. Don't be tricked into living with that uncertainty because I tell you, he cares for you and he will provide. We get to live like we are watching an event, but we've already been told the final score. Now, you can still be excited to watch the game unfold, but you know that your team is going to win. And for some of you, that seems a little disconcerting because the purpose of sports is to experience that anxiety and to not know. You would get upset if I told you the, what the score was before you had saw the game. But that's because that's a game, and that's where my analogy breaks down. This is life. And we aren't called to put everything on the line and then live our whole life on the edge of our seat wondering how it's going to turn out, hoping that we chose to play for the right team. We know who's going to win. We know the end of the story. The anxiety that Jesus is speaking of here is the anxiety that stems from worrying about things that you can't control. That's certainly not a world that we have to live in. So our solution in summary is fourfold. The first one is this. You must understand the necessity of choice. You must understand that there is a dichotomy here, a contrast, light versus dark. Uh, It is God versus materialism or mammon. You, You must make a choice. You need to understand the two competing forces that are at play. And as you notice them, then the next step is for you to look To to bring your eyes up and look and observe God's work in the world, his current work, his past track record, the history book that we have of how he has interacted with mankind and taken care of his people. The third step is to rightly see your worth or your place before him as the crown jewel of his creation. And then in light of all of these realities, to choose wisely and make him your treasure, your light, and your God. Jesus isn't telling you just to flip the switch and stop being anxious. It doesn't work like that. Jesus is telling you where your anxiety comes from. He's telling you how God is the ultimate solution to it. And he is imploring you to choose the better way. Now there's a good chance that some of you here are struggling with this, with struggling with life. And it could be that your anxiety stems from treasuring something that is unstable. We would love to study with you to show you the truth about God so that you can make an informed and clear decision about the best way to live. Perhaps you have come to know him already and you found yourself slipping back into these patterns of serving money instead of God, of things instead of him, of putting your trust in those. And if that's you, we would love to to pray for you, to walk with you, and to help restore your focus back on him. Or perhaps you are ready to put on Christ in baptism. If that is the case, we hope that you won't delay. The invitation is open to all. Come forward as we stand and sing.